You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Hi, my name is Hamish. I am an engineering student. And today I'll be reading Isaiah chapter 24, verses 1 to 6. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priest as for people, for master as for servant, for mistress as for maid, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The exalted of the earth languish. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burned up, and very few are left. Great. Thank you very much for the reading. It's good to see you all again this evening, and welcome to our series on um, how do we get to Zion? How can we get to Zion? Um, Why does this matter? Well, because Zion is um, the great hope for humanity. Uh, Humanity always is looking forward to some great hope, right? Some sort of future liberation, something that we're working towards. Perhaps it's evolutionary perfection, perhaps it's nirvana, perhaps it's complete equality. We all feel as though we're heading towards something brighter into the future. And the Bible um, says the absolute epitome of that is Zion. Um, And it's important for us to be looking at this Uh, idea that we're headed towards Zion because it's in Isaiah a really fleshed out understanding of our future heavenly hope. It pictures a renewed creation with God ruling in an unhindered uh, manner and bringing unhindered blessing to all the earth. And so that's why it's exciting and important for us to be looking at what Isaiah says about how we're going to get there, how it's going to happen. And tonight, you'll be glad to know that there's more judgment. So for the first few talks, there's been a lot of judgment included there. And tonight, it really ramps up. And we're, in fact, trying to sort of fly over chapters 24 to 27, which is the culmination of a whole bunch of chapters, like from 13 right through to 27. And here it's saying that God is going to judge the whole world. Um, And before we get into that a bit uh, further, I feel really echoey again this week. Can we turn down the volume? Amy's definitely giving your echoey vibes. Is anyone else feeling your body vibrate as I speak? (laughs) Because of the volume? Yeah, so I'll just keep on speaking. You just like do this, do this, and then slowly put your thumb up. Everyone will really help us when it's actually feeling bearable. Have you guys seen Greg Reviews? He does those. Has anyone seen the Greg Reviews, the food reviews? 
I don't know, is it good thumbs down? I don't know, but why is it going down? Yeah, that's, yeah, so you go look up Greg's reviews. <laughs> okay, I completely did not connect with the audience there. Good to know. <laughs> it's pretty funny, you've got to go look it up. So, um, all he does is eat KFC and constantly just reviews KFC. It's quite funny. Now, um, uh, Move on. Thanks, Josh. So, um, where were we? Yeah, so judgment of... Here in this, in this part of Isaiah, it's God promises judgment to all the nations. So the question is, will God really judge all the nations? Will God really judge all the nations? This is critical to Zion happening, according to the book of Isaiah. And, of course, the answer is yes, because the Bible says so. But the question is, will he really do that? And that's why Isaiah has a meditation on this for four, uh, for four chapters, because it's hard to get our head around. It's hard for our hearts to handle. And even in Christian circles, uh, there'll be, in, in effect, a denial of this really strong, clear biblical teaching. Some will just deny it um, by emphasis. They just will never talk about these kind of passages. Some will say it's just figurative, metaphorical language. Others will say the Bible isn't inspired in the way that some people think it's inspired. It's people on this inspirational journey to know God. Sometimes they get it wrong, sometimes they get it right. This could not be right, this part. Others will try and uh, be more faithful with the plain reading of Scripture and go, yeah, it's, it's real, judgment's real, but of course no one ultimately will be lost. It's real, but actually God will, in the end, save everyone. There will be a universal salvation which cancels out a universal judgment event. And so, it, it, and I understand it, it's, it's hard, isn't it, to accept that God will judge all the nations. I had a friend who I uh, co-led um, the youth ministry in our church with for several years, she, in fact, became a Christian um, under uh, my sister's ministry. She used to go into the schools in Hobart, and uh, this uh, woman was part of one of the Christian groups, and she became a Christian, so she came to our church, ended up helping me with the youth group. She was a wonderful person, really strong faith, great teacher, good at loving the, the kids. Her family was lovely as well. Her mum was intelligent, smart, really warm, she had a good relationship with her daughter. But that was her undoing. Her name was Jen. She worked with me. And she just couldn't accept that God would judge her mother because her mother was wonderful in every way. She just didn't buy into the Christian thing. She just didn't accept it. So her daughter and her parted company at that point and she just said this can't be right a good God wouldn't do that and we it, it makes sense I think to have that reaction that's a really appropriate emotional reaction and you'll see that in the very words of Isaiah from Isaiah himself in some of the passages here tonight but I want to say yes God will judge the nations 
And the reason why he'll judge the nations is because his judgment is guaranteed. It's going to happen. It's good. As in it's right. It's upright for him to do it. And it's glorious. It's what we need for Zion to happen. And it's glorious. So will he really judge the nations? Yes, he will. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Listen to what it says here in chapter 24, verses 1 through to 3. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priest as for people, for the master as for his servant, for the mistress as for her servant, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken his word. Verse 18 onwards, the floodgates of the heavens are opened, the foundations of the earth shake, the earth is broken up, the earth is split asunder, the earth is violently shaken, the earth reels like a drunkard, it sways like a hut in the wind, so heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion, then it falls, never to rise again. In that day the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. The moon will be dismayed, the sun ashamed. For the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders with great glory. It's plain, right? A universal cosmic judgment. Judgment in the heavens, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. The Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. The earth is broken up, the earth is split asunder, the earth is violently shaken. It's really clear, isn't it? He guarantees a universal judgment, a cosmic judgment. A judgment that will go a long way to destroying the very earth itself, along with the people in it. But hang on, Stu. The moon will be dismayed, the sun ashamed. We don't take that literally. Why would we take the whole passage literally? Isn't it hyperbole? Isn't it just a, a shot across the bow, a warning? God is angry, he feels like judging the whole earth. It's poetic. Read it in context. People will say that. I get it. We want to duck and weave. This can't be true, can it? But it is actually plain, isn't it? Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will rise, I'll raise it again in three days. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. He's speaking figuratively. Yes, he is. But he's also speaking literally, isn't he? We know that. And similarly here, and it's just a matter of reading literature properly, right? You can say things poetically, but truly, things figuratively, but literally. 
it's trying to give us powerful images here to say this is truly horrific. Even the sun can't bear to look. Even the moon cringes. That's, it's, it's poetic language, but it's saying a judgment so horrific, so broad, is guaranteed that nothing and no one will escape. The same will be for the priest as for the people, for the master as for his servant. For the politician as the 7-Eleven worker, for the nurse as for the street sweeper, for the kid as for the adult, everyone will be judged. Will God really judge all the nations? Yes, he's promising he will. And I guess um, if you're tempted to try and sort of somehow dismiss this, let me say this to you. When this does happen and we stand before God, should we feel shocked? When this actually happens, we'll be able to say to God, but we didn't know, you never warned us. I guess the question is, can God make it any plainer or any clearer? It's not just here in Isaiah, it's right through. The earlier chapters of Isaiah and all all parts of the Bible, this pops up that God will judge. It's guaranteed. Secondly, judgment will happen because it's, it's good that judgment happens. Listen to what it says in chapter 26, verses 10 to 11. But when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserve for enemies consume them. It's saying something really um, interesting and provocative here and opposite, I think, to our intuition. Often our impulse when people in our world aren't living as we think they ought to live, we want to start with encouragement. Like putting people in prison, locking them away, punishing them is the absolute last resort, right? But we kind of want to believe in human nature. If we encourage them to do good, if we treat them with goodness and privilege and kindness, they'll see the folly of their way and they'll self-correct, right? We believe in the inherent goodness of humanity. But what does it say here? But when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and do not regard the majesty of the Lord. God is right. Uh, God is gracious to us right now. To all people equally everywhere, there's this thing called common grace where he makes the sun to shine, our crops to grow. We have fun experiences, relationships to flourish and blossom. Whether you're in the Lord or out of the Lord, God shows spades of common grace to us. Remember, all good things come from God. Even the things that as human beings in rebellion against God we twist and pervert, but they're still in some respect reflecting the good gifts from God. We experience that remnant of goodness in them. Even if we 
live in a really strongly sexually perverted way or indulge really sexually perverted acts, there is still pleasure in the sex act, even though it's perverted. And that pleasure, that joy, is something that God designed to be a part of creation and that he still lets to continue. And how do we read that? Oh, that God is still allowing us some goodness, some pleasure, some joy in his good creation because he's being super gracious to us even though we've turned our back on him. No, we interpret it as, yes, going my way, completely denying God, not even thinking about him, works. There's some sort of fun in it. There's some sort of joy in it. I get some sort of fulfillment. Yes, by the common grace of God, even the deepest of sinners does enjoy something of this good creation that God permits. And he says here, see, showing humanity grace doesn't lead to repentance. They do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they don't see it. It's like a kite, you know, flying in the wind and it has these lines connecting it to the, the anchor, the person guiding the kite. And the kite thinks to itself, this is wonderful. It's, a, it's, it's amazing to be up here in the air, but I look around me, look at this vast sky. Oh, to be free. And so the kite reaches down and cuts its lines and breaks away from the anger and immediately the wind gusts it up and it's flying now much faster than it felt it was moving before. And it goes, yippee, I'm free. Completely oblivious, right, to the fact that it is now distorted. It's actually not as beautiful as it once was when it was connected to the anchor who was guiding it and keeping its shape and it looked really beautiful in this kite festival. Now it's flapping away and it's lost its shape and it's, 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 it's drunk on the rush of moving so fast but it doesn't know that it's going to end in disaster, right? Collapse, crumpled on the ground. And it's, this is saying that that's what humanity is like. We're, we're drunk on the rush of being un untethered to God. We're high on our rebellion. And instead of noticing that God is just being gracious to us in the hope that we might turn and repent, we just don't see it and we don't get it and we don't appreciate what God is doing. God's saying judgment is necessary because it's good. It's what actually works in order to disentangle creation from evil. It's necessary. It's good. He goes on to say here that judgment is good because God's people have failed to bring blessing to the world. So look here in verses 16 to 18 of chapter 26. Listen to what it says. Lord, they came to you in their distress. Now, um, Isaiah is talking about Jerusalem, God's people. Lord, they came to you in their distress when you disciplined them. They could barely whisper a prayer. They've been brought low and they're sort of crawling back to God. That's the picture here. 
as a pregnant woman about to give birth rise and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were with child. We writhed in labour. But we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth. And the people of the world have not come to life. One of the commentators I was reading on this passage said, this is one of the most profound couple of verses in scripture. Because here you have an image of Israel, God's people reflecting upon themselves and seeing, seeing the devastation of their failure and how disappointing they are. Not just to God, but to themselves and to humanity. God's people, that, that, you know, it's part of God's salvation plan, right? To give all these promises to Abraham. You know, I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to reverse the curse through choosing Abraham. And I'm going to bless you. And anyone who curses you, I'm going to curse. And the whole world will be blessed through you. It's a reversal, right, of the fall. This is the hope of Abraham and his family. And how are they going to reverse the fall? What Adam and Eve did in rebelling? Well, by... Obeying God by loving God wholeheartedly and worshipping him. It says at Mount Sinai when they're given the Lord, uh, the law, you are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You are to stand out as my people, radiate the light of my goodness. And you are to be a kingdom of priests. That is, mediate me to humanity. God is saying, my people, mediate me, mediate the relationship between me and humanity. Be a go-between and a representative. Draw people to me through your goodness, through bearing my image as Adam and Eve should have together. But they failed dismally. So they're, they're, they're pregnant with hope, right? They're pregnant with hope, this nation. Maybe they can bring salvation and blessing, but they fail dismally. And so they're there, they're pregnant, ready to pop, and they're on the, in the delivery room, on the table, and they're... Going through labour pains, they, they push out a baby and it's just air. It's depressing and disgusting and weird. It's like instead of... No, I don't want to say it. It's just, it's just a really gross scene. Now, when I'm with my... <laughs> this, really, this really connects with me because I'm a father. I've had three children. I've been through that whole experience, being willed in, my wife heavily pregnant. How devastating it would be. I understand it. It resonates with you guys. I guess not so much. You don't really connect. Think of a uh, uh, tickergram, and you've got a portable phone device, and you've captured a moving picture on your portable phone device and you try to download onto Tickergram and you press go and it doesn't work. How devastating would that be for you? Am I connecting with you? <laughs> do, we, do we feel like we're connecting? I get you guys. I get you guys. <laughs> but no, but the picture here, the picture here is of incredible disappointment. So, so God's people failed. God's people failed where they were meant to succeed is this great salvation through obedience. That is part of God's overarching plan, right? And the point here is that humanity, not even the best of humanity, can reverse the curse. That's the point. 
And that's ratcheting up this argument that God, he needs to judge the nations. He needs to judge the nations. Even his own people didn't respond to his lavish, gracious, loving kindness by being inspired to obey. Not even his own people responded positively to his grace. How much more the nations? Do you understand? It is good for God to judge. God has guaranteed he'll judge. It's, it's necessary and good and right and holy for him to judge. And it's glorious for God to judge. It's glorious for God to judge. But let me just take a step back here for a second. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 24. You don't need to turn there, just listen. Because in, in Isaiah 24, there's this promise of this cosmic, you know, universal judgment, and it's terrifying and horrifying. And sort of in the middle of the chapter, it breaks out in song, right, praising God for how glorious he is in his judgment. We don't know who the people singing the song are, but it's just like some group from the side have just moved in as it's talking about this really heavy judgment and they start singing praises to God. Oh, God, you're glorious, you're wonderful, we love you. Sing it again. That's what's happening here in the middle. And then Isaiah butts in to the song and I'll show you where it sort of fits together. So in verse 16, it's the end of this song, right? It says, from the ends of the earth, we, we hear singing glory to the righteous one. Then in comes Isaiah. Halfway through that verse, and he says, but I said, this is Isaiah, but I said, I waste away, I waste away. Woe to me, the treacherous betray. With treachery, the treacherous betray. He's saying this is awful. It's heavy. I'm implicated in this. It's a mess. We're imploding upon ourselves because of our rebellion against you. This is not something to rejoice in. But it is. It is. It is glorious what God is doing. But it is also, we get, and Isaiah gets, and Isaiah expresses, it is, is at the same time, it is deeply troubling and disturbing and horrifying. But it's because it implicates us. And it's because we're blind to the horror of our rebellion against God. The fact is that the worst sin we can think of imaginable, something like murder, something really horrible, the, the worst sin that you can think of is in fact trumped by what you and I do on a daily basis in denying the godness of God. Because just like that kite can only have beauty and metaphorically life by being connected to the anchor. It's the only way possible for humanity to flourish. Same with us. And when we sever, when we sever that tie, when we sever that tie with God and we march our own way, we are a part of a humanity just marching off the cliff like lemmings. And God says it is horrific to do that. It's mass murder to do that. 
Your destiny is destruction and you're all part of the same band, marching in the same direction. Don't you get it? So it's both horrifying but glorious. And that's what's going to happen. And so it says in uh, chapter 27, it says, it, it sort of puts a spotlight on the glorious outcomes of God's judgment. In chapter 27, it says, In that day, the day of judgment, the big cosmic judgment, universal judgment, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea in that day. Leviathan is a mythological creature, a monster of the deep sea. And it's a cross-cultural symbol of evil in the world. The ancient Near East knew of Leviathan. It was in, in other mythologies in the ancient Near East. And this is God's way of saying that thing that everyone identifies as the evil that needs to be gotten rid of, God will mow it down. What is the Leviathan in our neck of the woods. What do we think needs to be killed off in order for us to reach Zion? Humanly speaking, well, I think maybe inequality. Is that the great Leviathan in our culture and our society? Maybe it's disease. Maybe that's the great Leviathan. Maybe it's poverty. Maybe, maybe it's lack of education. Maybe in the East it's Western ideology. I don't know. Whatever it is, there are the, these things that we say they're crippling our society. We've got to get rid of them. We've got to deal with them. And here it's saying, yeah, they're all Leviathan and God will, it, God will just cut it down in one fell swoop. Gone. Evil gone. Because of his universal judgment. It implicates us human beings, but it also gets rid of sin. Sickness, death. That's a good thing, isn't it? This gets rid of sin, sickness, death, the great Leviathan. And in that day, it goes on, sing about a fruitful vineyard. Now remember back in, I don't know what talk, talk one or two or something, we looked at the vineyard, God's vineyard, that he carefully tended and planted, but it produced absolutely zero fruit. What a disappointment. The same things that are saying about the, the pregnant woman just giving birth to wind. Israel, God's people, massive disappointment. But here it's saying at the end of judgment, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. On the other side of judgment, God will have a people who he loves and protects and who are truly holy and do produce fruit and it's glorious and wonderful. It's a new humanity in a new creation. It's looking forward to here, a new Jerusalem. And he says, I am not angry with this vineyard. If only there were briars and thorns confronting me, the briars and the thorns stood for Assyria back in the earlier chapters. And he's saying, oh, if only they could come again so I could defend my people because I love them. And then it goes on. If only there were briars and thorns confronting me, I would march against them in battle. I would set them all on fire. But wait. Verse 5, or else let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. 
Yes, let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob will take root, Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with its fruit. That is so beautiful. On the other side of judgment, I'll have these beautiful people of my people and I will just long to defend them against the nations because I love them so much. But you know what? Even better, let Assyria come and find refuge in me. Oh, that's better. I long for that, actually. I want to destroy them because I'm so jealous for my people, but actually, no, something even better. Join in with my people. Oh, that the nations would find refuge in me, says God. This is glorious, what God's judgment leads to. And it's the only way. And the reason we hate it so much, the reason we think it sucks, is because we're not used to being confronted with the raw truth that we are a part of the problem and it implicates us. But it's beautiful and it's glorious. So what? Well, two things in in concluding, in finishing. So what? Well, first of all, first of all, Don't let the tricky questions distract you. Don't let the tricky questions mean that you really don't focus focus on the main point. What about the person who is so mentally incapacitated they couldn't possibly be aware of God or aware that they're a sinner or have any clear way of being able to seek refuge in God. What about the child who's been raised in cruelty, oppressed from day dot, cruelly oppressed in a faraway land where they've never even heard of a Bible, let alone Jesus Christ, and the kid dies at nine? Where does this leave him? What about the infant who dies at one? Where does it leave them? This is a universal judgment. And the only refuge is in with the people of God. For us, we understand with Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Lord. Well, I simply want to say they are really good questions. They're important questions. And they're not necessarily easy to answer and they deserve a much longer conversation. But there are a few things I know. First of all, let the main point remain the main point. God is going to judge. Remember that when God fleshes out his system of judgment in places like Romans, he makes very clear that he judges people according to what they know and what they do against their conscience. He makes it clear that that's a part of his judging system, right? We know that. That's lock, lock that in place. That's how he judges. He reveals his justice in Romans you know, 1 to 3. And a, a certain consciousness about sin is a part of 
of that system of judgment. I know that. I, I also know that you can only be saved through Jesus Christ. I also know that God is incredibly gracious and kind. So what happens to these cases that don't fit neatly anywhere? I don't know. And you know what? I don't need to know. I know God is just. I know he's loving. I know he's provided a way of salvation. I know he will judge. I know that he's fair. I'll trust him with the grey areas. It's good to discuss them. It's really good to discuss them. But don't let that be an excuse to not take seriously the plain reading of Scripture and what it's plainly saying. God will judge the sinner and all nations. And secondly, this does clearly present for us two options, right, for all human beings. Ordinarily, this provides just two options. One is to find refuge in God, in God's people. The other is to be under the weight of inevitable judgment. There is no third option. There's no fourth, fifth, sixth option. There's no such thing as agnosticism here according to the Bible. There's no such thing as rest in peace. There's no such thing even, when this is fleshed out further on in the Bible, as annihilation, which is effectively rest in peace. There are just two options. Either actually face the wrath of God or find refuge in him. And this weaves right through the Bible. What does it say at the coronation of great King David, who is the archetypal king? It says there in the coronation psalm, Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. It's right through scripture. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. There are two ways to relate to the great king over God's people. That it is to honour him, love him, worship him because he is good. Or to be judged by him because he's God's appointed ruler. Acts God has demonstrated to us, he's proven to us that Jesus is the one who will judge by raising him from the dead. Acts 17. There are two options. Come to him to find refuge or be judged. God will judge the nations. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it's really heavy and troubling to meditate upon your universal judgment that is inevitable. But God, we also thank you for it. We thank you that through your judgment, you do make way for a glorious new creation. And we, and we also thank you, God, that there's not just one option, be judged. And don't be part of the new creation. There is the second option, to come and find refuge in you because you're good, you're merciful, you love us even in our sin. God, please give us open hearts that our lives might be shaped by these great and important truths. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, 
you can do so via the link in the podcast description.